The following is a message from Wellsprings Congregation. It's been too long. And hello to everyone tuning in on our YouTube channel. It's definitely a silver lining of this pandemic that we now have the ability to invite you in when we meet in person. The last time I stood up here to preach was February 16th of 2020. Seems like a lifetime ago. The title of my sermon that day was Embracing Vulnerability. I had no idea how vulnerable we were about to become. In that sermon, I talked about how I had recently left my career of almost 30 years and was in the middle of building a new child care center. I had spent almost a year in this place of transition. My daughters were grown. I didn't have a full-time job. Preparing for my new career did take some time and energy, but I had more free time than I had had in a long time. I thought this was the perfect opportunity to get my act together. But I had a wise therapist who encouraged me to blow up the rules of what I was and wasn't allowed to do with my life, with my time off. She encouraged me to rest, relax, spend time watching TV on the couch if that's what I wanted to do. Turns out I was a little bit ahead of the curve. I had this vacation planned, a cruise, and I expected that life was finally going to start getting busier after vacation because I was going to open this center in about six months. The last day of my cruise was March 8, 2020. For reference, that was the day of the last service we had here in Bell Hall for almost a year and a half. So I stayed in the house. I watched even more TV. I canceled meetings. Construction on the new school stopped for a while. And when it started again, there were new challenges brought on by the pandemic. Other people were staying home, too. Working from home, quitting their jobs altogether. During the pandemic, so many people made big life changes, especially career changes, that journalists and social scientists have called it the Great Resignation. I myself finally opened for business at the end of August. I've had a different perspective than some of you on the great resignation. While it took a long time to fill up the rooms in my center, we now have a wait list in every room. But the great resignation has taken a toll on the childcare industry. It's harder and harder to find staff. Hourly pay rates are climbing like the industry has never seen before. 
And I'm not going to lie, it's a challenge for me. On the one hand, the activist in me is thrilled for the staff, mostly women, all women at my center, who have never been paid what they deserve in this industry. There has definitely been a reckoning. And also, I have bills to pay. And there are only so many levers I can pull. I'm asking myself some hard questions these days. What will it take to attract the talent we need? I need to make money to stay in business. But how much profit is enough? How much is too much? How much can I raise my rates without overburdening parents? I hear people say the hourly rates they are asking for are ridiculous. Nope, I'm the first one to admit they really aren't. People who work full-time taking care of our youngest children deserve a living wage. They have a special skill set that has been grossly undervalued in our economy. So I don't have the answers. It's hard, sometimes gut-wrenchingly hard. But what's also true is that I feel alive in a way I just didn't before I entered this profession. I have a sense that these are important questions that I'm wrestling with that this is important work that I'm doing. The title of our current message series is The Great Integration. What does it look like to integrate all of that change into our life and our society? Honestly, it's another question I don't have the answer to. This change is too fresh. It's still happening not just in my little business, but in all our lives. What I can reflect on in this time with you is how integration has worked in some other changes in our lives. In 2019, I was not new to taking career risks. I mentioned in my message the last time I was on this stage that I originally took steps to leave my profession in 2010. I worked part-time and went to school to get my master's degree in psychology. (laughs) Let me say that again. I worked part-time and went to school to get my master's degree in psychology. That sounds kind of simple. It was anything but simple. When I first mentioned to my husband, Steve, that I wanted to quit my job and go back to school, he wasn't exactly on board. Our family relied on my income, and he had concerns. I didn't waver, though. Honestly, I wore him down. He wasn't exactly excited, more like reluctantly supportive. And it was enough, but it was also hard. I wanted a cheerleader, and instead, I felt challenged at every turn. It was easy to doubt myself. It was easy to get defensive. 
in the midst of this brave, scary risk I was taking, it was also the hardest period of our marriage. Rest assured, I do have Steve's permission to share this with all of you. And if you've noticed that he's not in the room, I promise it's a coincidence. He is a volunteer firefighter and is in an officer training class right now and has promised that he's going to watch this later. So, hi, Steve. Um, In hindsight, I'm glad we went through that scary period in 2010. It really did increase our ability to communicate. And I truly believe our marriage is stronger than ever now. And it wasn't just Steve. I had other family members who thought I was crazy. And I had to have multiple conversations with my boss as my work schedule had to keep changing to accommodate my classes and then my internship. On the one hand, I had this pinch me, I'm dreaming kind of feeling. I couldn't believe it was actually happening. I was asking for and getting what I wanted. But I was also really worried about the fallout. Would my marriage survive? What if I was making a mistake? How would we make this work financially? And then when I did go back to my insurance career, I wondered if I gave up too soon. Or was a career in counseling just wrong for me? So I took this big risk, and it didn't pan out, right? Maybe. I did have moments of wondering whether I did the right thing when I abandoned my counseling career and went back full-time to my insurance career. But, you know, I don't ever remember feeling any regret about the risk I took when I cut back to pursue my degree. I learned so much about myself and what I'm capable of. It reminds me of the Robert Frost poem, The Road Not Taken, especially the last line. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Taking the well-worn road kept me in a career for 30 years that I honestly knew from year one wasn't a good fit. I recently read the book Run Towards the Danger by Sarah Polly. Sarah was a child actor in Canada in the 90s. In 2015, she suffered a debilitating concussion and spent three and a half years in a fog, losing hope that she would ever truly feel like herself again. She got lots of advice, including from doctors, and it was all contradictory. She writes, The advice combined is, Lie in a dark room. Don't lie in a dark room. Less screen time. No screen time. Go outside. Take it easy. 
do nothing for three weeks. Don't do nothing for three weeks. Go for a walk. Stay in bed and nap as much as you can. Take a break from anything and everything when you get symptoms. She wondered if she would ever get better. So she started looking for alternatives. She improved for a while, but then regressed to debilitating headaches and fog. Finally, she heard about a clinic in Pittsburgh. And she was warned by the experts in her life that the doctor at this clinic was an expensive snake oil salesman. But she was desperate and ready to try anything. The doctor at the clinic made the case that her particular type of concussion affected the part of her brain that controls emotional functioning. It was creating a communication loop with her anxiety that was keeping her stuck. He suggested that she had been accommodating the concussion in hundreds of ways, and her job was to strip them away so that her brain could reacclimate. Where others had told her to relax in a quiet, dark room when she started to feel symptoms, this doctor suggested that avoiding symptoms was feeding her anxiety and advised her to run into the discomfort instead of away from it. He encouraged her to suffer through the uncomfortable symptoms to push how much her brain could tolerate. He said, if you remember only one thing from this meeting, remember this, run towards the danger. She followed this radical advice, and after three and a half years of nothing seeming to work for long, she was back to herself within six weeks. Run towards the danger became a metaphor for her life. She started to greet and welcome the things she had previously avoided. The book she wrote is a collection of essays about her life. A lot of it about the trauma of growing up as a child actor after the loss of her mother at the age of 11. Telling the stories she had avoided helped her to integrate them into her adult life, and they became lighter and easier to carry. Take the road less traveled, run towards the danger. Good advice for Sarah Polly. Good advice for me, too. Running towards those uncomfortable conversations with my husband and with my boss helped, helped me, helped us to emerge stronger. And I find myself now running towards those hard decisions about what to pay my staff, what to charge my families. It makes me think of a conversation I had with my oldest daughter, Miranda. I expected her, like most people I know, to spend her senior year of college applying for jobs where she could use her degree. She didn't. She couldn't. 
She had two summer internships that convinced her that a desk job was not what she wanted in life. To be sure, the voices in my head were telling me that she was making a mistake. But then she told me that she had watched me complain over the years about how unhappy I was and how trapped I felt, and she wanted something different for herself. How could I argue with that? So she took a job at the climbing gym, and, you know, she was really good at it. I watched her gain confidence in her ability to interact with people in that role. And then a year after she graduated, she decided that she did want more, a higher-paying job in her field with benefits. She found a job where she could balance the desk work with field work, and she's doing well. She recently started a master's program, and she still climbs several times a week. I'm glad she didn't take the road I expected her to take. I think she's better off for it. And I'm glad she paid attention to the parts of that road that weren't working for her. She changed her mind. She found a way to make it work. And when my youngest daughter, Stephanie, was 14 years old and in the eighth grade, she approached me about applying to private schools for high school instead of staying in the local school district. This was when I had just made that decision to start working part-time. So, yeah, we couldn't afford to send her to private school. But something in me could not just say no. You can't pursue your dream because I'm pursuing mine. So I encouraged her to look for scholarships. And looking for scholarships led her to branch out and look for private boarding schools that weren't local. So long story short, my little girl spent her high school years four hours away at a boarding school in upstate New York. Talk about the road less traveled. And people used to say to me, but aren't you going to miss her? I hated that question. Of course I missed her. It was so hard for me to let her go. And you know what? It was hard for her too. I often think life would have been easier for her if she had just stayed home with us. And in truth, we would have welcomed her with open arms if she decided it was too hard and she wanted to come home. But she didn't. She pushed through. She ran towards the danger. I can't speak for her, but I don't regret sending her off for high school. She had always been a good student, but being at boarding school really honed her work ethic and paved the way for academic success on a higher scale. She's in med school now, and I'm still so amazed by how hard she works. 
I think we all have stories like these. I don't think my family is unique. Stories of times when we did hard things and made it through. So what does that mean for us now, two years into the pandemic? It still feels like we are in uncharted territory. Some of us are on the road less traveled through no real decision of our own. Others have made decisions, sometimes hard decisions, to make bold, big changes as part of this great resignation. For most of us, it isn't easy. We don't really have a roadmap for how or when this will end, for how our society will emerge, for how we ourselves will emerge. I think we do well to remember when things do get hard, to rest, and then to run towards the danger. Let's not be afraid to wrestle with the hard questions. We can do this. We are doing this. Amen. And may you live in blessing. Will you pray with me? Spirit of life, we are tired of navigating all the changes in our world and in our lives. May we find rest. And may we find strength to carry on and face these challenges as we continue to strive to make the world whole. Amen. If you enjoyed this message and would like to support the mission of Wellsprings, go to our website, wellspringsuu.org. That's Wellsprings, the letters UU dot O-R-G.